This is the Leapcast, where we talk about how today's current events impact your real life. If you are tired of politics or you are just exhausted from the spin, this show is for you. My name is Andrew Lieb, and every week I host a talk radio show breaking down the news from an independent point of view. We discuss real estate, business, and your health. Hear from the experts and learn the truth on the Leapcast. Personal coach and trusted attorney, Andrew Lieb. Welcome back to the Liebcast. I got with us Leslie Mendoza, the attorney extraordinaire who tracks all this real estate laws and tells us about it. I do the tracking as well, but you know, when I go through them, I go to Leslie. Do I know what I'm talking about? And Lauren, this one I is big, really, really. Oh, re- I'm excited. Well, it's big. And if you're a real estate broker, you got to know this. If you're a property manager, you got to know this. If you're a Manhattanite, you need to know this. Or you live in Long Beach or any other place where there's tons of co-ops, it's very important. Lauren, the Bryn Elliott team at Douglas Elliman Real Estate, our broker friends, they want you to know this. But before, before, before we even talk about what Bryn wants you to know, I want Lauren to tell you what she's doing with Bryn right now because... Oh, okay. So everybody is talking about how high the real estate market is right now. It's so hard. There's bidding wars everywhere. And Andrew and I have been talking for at least seven or eight months now that when the moratoriums are lifted, right now you can't evict and you can't foreclose. And when they're lifted, which is coming... So in New York, Lauren, it is true that the moratoriums expire on August 31st, but Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, right, Leslie, they put out something that you might not be able to foreclose until 2022. Isn't that true? Correct. And so do we even know what the final is because they haven't put out their regulation yet, have they? Not yet. Um, Right now, it's estimated to be the start of 2022. So it might change. That's just foreclosure, though. Yes, that's not evictions. Closure. So we might have two different waves, Lauren. I just I didn't even yeah. tell you this yet because Lauren and I haven't even spoken about it yet. That well, good to know. Thanks. Well, that's why we're talking about it. That where we were planning until yesterday to leverage starting in September. That's when it was going to be a good time, and I'll let you get into that. But you should know that Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. You know, you have all these different organizations. You got New York State on one note, you got Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is federal government on the other note. And we track regulations. It wasn't in the register as of Wednesday of this week. Again, so Jessica's in town. So I am out of the office on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. This is pre-recorded. And I don't know, maybe something changed in the middle. But as of Wednesday, it was not on the register yet. There was just pop in circumstance that they were about to do this. But anyway, so Lauren and I are trying to time the market. And when you say time the market, you say to yourself, you never can time the market. And that's true. We don't, when we say time the market, we're not trying to get the absolute highest or the absolute lowest. We're trying to get things when it's near the peak and near the valley. That's kind of where we're going. And for the last two months, you've seen a dip in valuations of new construction. The dip hasn't happened yet with respect to existing units for sale. And so we're seeing with these two, the moratoriums ending, that the dip is on its way. So Lauren? Well, it's on its way. And I want to make sure that I have the right setup to invest in real estate when this happens. Meaning like what we're trying to do is get a cash flow, get free cash 
because the more free cash you have, and free cash could be in stocks, free cash could be in your bank account, but free cash liquid assets is what we're talking about. Can't be in a business because you can't pull it out. A free cash can't be in the fact that you own real estate. It can't be in a government bond. Like some of these things are just not easy to sell. Like you have money in your IRA, but you can't take the money out of your IRA. You have money in your 401k, but there's a penalty if you take it. So Lauren says to me the other day, Bryn sponsors the show. We like Bryn. And we got this townhouse that we rent out. Why don't we sell the townhouse on the top of the market? And then why don't we have some free cash? Well, I want to hold my money. And then when the right opportunity comes to invest in, I want to be able to pull that trigger immediately. And I do believe it's coming in the next year. And I want to be ready to get the right property that's going to make the most money. And in doing that, we want to understand all different property options. Like last week, we had Leslie Mendoza on to come and tell us about seasonal rentals and how if we were going to buy seasonal rentals when the crash happens, just so you understand, the peak is now for selling. The valley is going to be when the 8 million people are foreclosed and evicted, whether it's in September or December or in 2022 in June. Like there's going to be some in 2022, you're going to start seeing action of things going down. And I always like to put it like this. Leslie lives on a beautiful block, beautiful neighbors. Her properties are going up. It's a good place to be. But if someone three houses down from her starts getting foreclosed, they're going to stop mowing their lawn. They're going to stop cleaning their windows. They're going to stop sweeping the de- the porch. You're going to see their house start deteriorating very quickly. Nature always wins. Have you ever noticed that? Like the weeds always come through. And you have to look at a block. If you're walking around a block, you know that house. You know the house that's not paying their bills. It's obvious to everybody. But the point being that once that happens, that why would anyone want to live in Leslie's house then? Because the block itself gets like that. So a lot of people have said to me, my buddy at my, at my club said to me the other day, he goes, but it's not going to be with affluent neighborhoods. And I said, you're an idiot. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I go, it's not about whether they're rich or poor neighborhoods. It's whether people live high on the hog and they try and keep up with the Joneses or they live with a margin. What I mean, extend themselves. Yeah, if, if you did, and here's how I know there's going to be a problem, Leslie. We represent banks. We do a lot of mortgage work, closings. And you know what I learned at my law firm? Lots of people do cash out refinances as the property values went up, meaning that they would go, my house used to be, for example, worth 400. Now it's worth 450. I had a mortgage of $360,000. I used to have $40,000 in equity. Now I have $140,000 in equity. Let me do a refinance and take that $100,000 and go party. And so if you just refinance because interest rates were lower and you want to get lower monthly payments, that'd be fine. But if you cash out, you take that 100000 and your house now is worth how much, Lauren? Five hundred, and you only have $40,000 in equity. And then we dip down 50000 not the total that you gain, but now you have negative $10,000 in equity. And you have negative $10,000 in equity with higher monthly mortgage payments than you did before because you did the cash out, which raised your monthly mortgage payments. And therefore, you're saying to yourself, why am I spending such high money on these mortgage payments when my house is worth negative money and I'd be better off for getting foreclosed upon and renting somewhere? And then you're de-incentivized to be motivated to go purchase, I mean, to um, pay your bills, which creates a spiral effect on all of society. 
So we see that as an opportunity in the future. And I'm trying to find out from Leslie, every time we bring her back on, what's going on in the real estate world, because I want to know what's going on in the real estate world so I can know where I want to invest. And like I said, last week, she told us about seasonal rentals, how they're going to be exempt if a law is signed, it was the Senate and Assembly, how they're going to be exempt from laws from the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act, this law in New York that said the most you can get at lease signing is one month's rent, whether it's security, deposit, advance, prepayment, you call it whatever you want. But seasonal rentals up to four months, Leslie told me, 120 days, are going to have a, a, a avenue, a route, not 100%, but a route to get an exemption, which makes renting property in Hunter Mountain a target for us, Lauren Lee. But this it's week, now. this week, I want to talk about a different category. Maybe she doesn't want, she, you heard her say hard no, right? Yeah. Maybe I need a pied de terre. And maybe I need a place in the city. The Manhattan's back. Lauren was in Manhattan last week. She couldn't even drive more than a block. The traffic is worse than it's ever been because hardly anyone is taking public transportation. They love their cars now. So there's a big issue. People don't realize this, Lauren. Co-ops are actually landlords and tenants. I'm going to repeat that. Co-ops are actually landlords and tenants. You buy a unit in a co-op. You didn't actually buy property. You bought shares in a corporation, which is the landlord. And then you get what's called a proprietary lease, which allows you to be the tenant. And your maintenance is your rent payment. And courts have consistently held that for years. They've ruled that for years. Well, this is a problem when rental laws get passed because in purpose, the government probably doesn't want it to apply to owners of single-family homes, which co-ops are identified by people as single-family homes, but in law, they're rentals. So co-ops get swept up in the rental laws, even though they're more like a condo, a townhouse with a pod plan, urban development, a homeowners association, even though they're more like a single-family home. They're more like a... But they're being treated like rentals. And this became a huge problem with that same security and advance thing, security deposit and advance, which was in the general obligation law. It became a problem, Leslie, because there's all these rules. There's rules about application fees. There's rules about renewal and non-renewal and rent increases. There's rules about credit and background checks. There's rules about monthly maintenance fees. There's rules about what rent is defined as. You see, there's rules about notices that people get before eviction, attorney's fees in lawsuits that were all passed in 2019 with respect to rentals. And I'm going to let Leslie go over what each of those things I just said were. But in rentals, they intended to pass these laws to help vulnerable tenants because that's what government seems to be doing these days. They don't care about vulnerable landlords. Listen to Lieb. And they try and help vulnerable tenants. And assuming that you agree with them that we should make laws to help tenants at the expense of landlords, to transfer wealth from the rich to the poor, assuming you're a Robin Hood law person, the man in tights, assuming that that's what you want to do, I don't know that you intended to do it from the co-op board transferring the wealth to the co-op shareholder. I don't know that the law was really designed, meant, Leslie, 
Because if we're going to go invest in a co-op, we want to be in the co-op because the co-op building itself is financially sound. When you buy into a co-op, it's not that you're buying for a unit to be great. It's that you want the building itself not to have, what's the word, Leslie? There's a word that everyone hates that lives in a co-op and starts with an A. An assessment. They hate the assessment. You, When you buy a co-op, the evil, evil word. My mom was having a problem with a co-op recently. And she said to me, what if they come after me? And I said back to them, do you think that it's politically expedient for the board members, the board of directors to have to assess everyone in the co-op extra money to pay an attorney's fee to come after you over this nonsense? Do you think that's political suicide for the people on the board and people go on a board? Why? They're power hungry and they want to be in charge of their life. And I'm not to say that's bad because maybe you want power if you're investing a million dollars in a building. Maybe you want to preserve your asset. So going full circle, the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act was passed in 2019. And based on this law, we now believe that it was inadvertently applied to co-ops. But since 2019, Leslie, can you go over some of these things that have applied to co-ops so we can understand what we're talking about that are the subject of a present law right now that passed the Senate? Pass the assembly. If you're looking for it, it's Senate Bill S5105C. You could go look it up. Leslie wrote a tremendous blog on it at blog.liebatlaw.com. Because I'm thinking, Lauren, we need a pied de terre. We need to get a place, a co-op. Now that we're selling with Bryn, we're going to have money. New York City, there's going to be foreclosures, evictions. I want in. Leslie, tell her how co-ops were a bad investment since 2019. And when Governor Cuomo signs this law, how it's going to be a good one. So there's really eight things that this new law is trying to change and trying to correct the unintended effects of the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act of 2019. And during that time from 2019 to, well, up to now, until before this law is passed, the co-op board cannot charge more than one month's rent for the security deposit or advance for a shareholder who is a tenant under the proprietary lease. So just so we're clear, tenant who's a shareholder under the proprietary lease, you're talking about an owner. We're not talking about a subtenant because people get confused. Yeah. When you rent your co-op, the person that you rent it to is called a subtenant. You're called the prime tenant. Is correct. that correct? Correct. So what she's talking about is the prime tenant. The prime tenant is the owner, the person that owns the shares. Lauren and I go to buy a co-op in the city. We're the tenant. We're the prime tenant. We thereafter say, this is a good rental property. We don't need a pied de terre for ourselves. Let's rent it out. We'd rent it to Brian Smith. Brian Smith is not the tenant. He's the subtenant. Does that make sense, Lauren? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Go for it. So the next one is that, which was a big problem, was that the co-op boards cannot, cannot <coughs> charge application fees for every prospective tenant or prospective owner looking to buy a co-op. And they spent made a lot of money, Lauren, on these application fees. Like they would not just do it on application. They do it on flip tax. They would do all sorts of ways to generate money. So some of these things are $2,000, $3,000 just to put in an application. And the law said that, hey, you can't get these application fees in the real property law anymore. And in addition to that, you, can, you can't even charge more than $20 for a credit check or a background check. And a credit check, meaning can someone pay? And a background check, meaning you're living next to this person. They're going to own part of your property. 
Maybe it would be nice to know if they're a sex offender. Maybe it would be nice to know if they're getting sued. Maybe you don't want them if they're suing their prior board in their other co-op because you know they're going to sue you, which will result in that bad A, the assessment. And so what this said is, hey, you got to pay board. You got to pay landlord for the credit and background check. Yeah, you could pass through 20 bucks, but that's not how much they cost. And by the way, if you pay less than 20 bucks, you have to charge less, whatever you paid. And by the way, if they have a recent credit check and they show it to you, you can't charge it all. And we've all heard of freecreditroadcheck.com. So. And um, so there's certain notice, notices too that now the co-op, well, after this law is passed, the co-op doesn't have to give to the tenant. That includes the notice of non-renewal and notice of rent increase, which really doesn't make sense for an owner who lives in the Let's throw it out like that. The law says that if you increase the rent, you have to give them this notice, whether it's 30, 60, or 90 days before you do it, right? Correct. And you have to send them this notice that says, hey, if it's more than 5%, I'm giving you this formal notice. There's a way you have to do it. Like our clients in the law firm, even landlords, try and do it, but they don't do it right because they don't write the right notice. That's why you need a lawyer to do it. But anyway, setting that all aside, what happens if they need the assessment in the co-op? Wouldn't that be raising the rent? So wouldn't they have to send the notice that far in advance of doing the assessment, So, which would cause the co-op to have to go into their slush fund because they wouldn't have the ability to raise the money when they need the money for the major repair or capital improvement or lawsuit? See the problem? In connection with that, um, once the law is passed, they can also the co-op can also charge monthly maintenance late charges for monthly maintenance fees that were not paid. And before, they couldn't charge the late charges with this law since 2019. So come 2019, Lauren, when the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act was passed, I represent co-op boards at the law firm. Morty does some of that stuff. I represent property management companies. I was training them all in compliance trainings, how they didn't violate all this stuff. And I'm thinking while I'm doing the trainings, I'd not invest in a co-op. This is stupid. Why would you invest in a co-op? The co-op can't get more. Some co-ops require maintenance of a year to be held in escrow at all times. That's what they require, like to move in. Can't do that anymore. You can't increase the rent without these notices. You can't say, Hey, I want this big money in application fee. You're stuck on credit and ch uh, background checks. There's, as Leslie's saying, you couldn't charge late fees. It was like a disaster. There's all these other notices you couldn't get. You couldn't get the attorney's fees, right, Leslie? Like if the co-op sued you, they couldn't get attorney's fees to sue you, meaning recouping that assessment. And so every time under this law, a co-op had a problem. They had a lot of exposure. Isn't that what's going on, Les? Exactly. And so the co-ops were in a bind. And it's probably because it was unintended. But as a tenant, an owner of a co-op, if you wanted to mess with the co-op, they were all violating this or they weren't violating it and they were out a lot of money. So lots of cops have been violating this for a long time. And Leslie brings to my attention that on June 10th, the day before the end of the legislative session in New York State, the Assembly and the Senate, we got passed and it's going to the governor to take effect immediately to say, yeah, we get it legally structured. Co-ops are the same thing as a landlord-tenant relationship. And Lauren's looking at me the whole time like, it's not. It's just not. It's my co-op. It's my home. Like, Leslie, if you're renting a house, 
Would you do a major kitchen renovation? Absolutely not. Why? Because it's not your home. But in a co-op, you renovate the kitchen. In a co-op, you renovate the bathrooms. In a co-op, you renovate the bedrooms. You hire interior designers. You paint on your own. You, it's your home. You are invested in this thing. And so the law is catching up with reality now. Now, I have problems with this law. I'm going to tell you what my problem is with this law is. It only carved out, as Leslie said, eight different categories that don't apply. Isn't that true? Correct. And I don't see why they didn't just say co-ops are not landlord-tenant relationships under the law. Like that would have just been a simpler one that I think everyone could have got behind because there are still things that apply. For example, if you're in a co-op and the co-op has power out or your water's got a problem, the implied warranty of habitability, which is a statutory right, says, hey, you can technically sue the co-op and get a rent abatement in English. You can get your maintenance lowered and not all, oh, all the maintenance under landlord-tenant law. Like, why is landlord-tenant law applying whatsoever to co-ops? You know, the Liebcast is trying to take some political stands these days, Leslie. First of all, number one, Governor Cuomo. If I see baseball becomes the Nash, the New York State sport, I brought this up last, it's to travesty. Let's go Islanders. I don't care. I told you I'm pre-recorded. I don't know how the game's going to go. Tampa's up 3-2 while I'm recording this thing. They have the game tonight, the big game. I don't care if the Islanders are out. I don't think they should. Matty Barzell, he's going to do great. I, he didn't get suspended. I'm feeling good. But you got the Nets going far this year. That's basketball, Lauren. You got the Islanders in the Final Four two years in a row. It's a travesty for you to make baseball the New York State sport, the sport of New York, while the basketball and the hockey are good. Beyond that, we told you before, in the first hour, you should never, ever, 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 ever pass a law that makes someone's desire to pay their bills minimized because it's like a good investment if they could have a statutory judgment interest at two percent why is anyone going to pay any bills to any service providers why would you do why would you pay remember when we just talked about that lauren on the judgment interest it like it makes me only want to sell things for cash imagine i could get a mortgage for two percent like just think about that for a second like that's what get rid of that bill on this bill this is a good idea leslie we agree it's a good idea right i agree but I don't understand why it's only eight categories that are going on because a co-op is not a rental situation. I know legally it is, and I'm a lawyer, but what I think our law firm tries to pride itself on is being able to speak both law and English, like being able to be bilingual. And I don't know anyone who's not in the real estate industry that's not a lawyer that understands that a co-op's a rental. Like they just don't. It's their house. Like it's their place. So moving forward. This is a good start. We got eight of these things out. And if you're listening to the Liebcast, now you know a current event that's really going to affect real estate, number one, and business, because I'm going to convince Lauren that the Pied de Terre rental, the problem though, Lauren, is a- Well, as long as it's not in Hunter. Well, the problem is that co-ops can restrict your ability to rent out your property. So maybe what they need to do is change that as well if we're going to make this the investment for Lauren and Andrew Lieb. Until then, I got a quick announcement, then we got to go. Check out on Amazon. Our book is now available. 
10 strategies to purchase property post-pandemic. We're going to be talking about it next week. Have a great week. This is the Leapcast. Find us on social media at Listen to Leap or visit listentoleap.com. 